A couple of years ago, our church hosted a funeral here in this room for a neighboring church, Corona Baptist Church. Over the years, probably some of you know that we have sought to be a part of ending and confronting racism in our community, and a part of that has been having hard conversations, uh, gathering with people maybe we wouldn't normally gather with, and doing the hard work that it takes to make change in a community. And one of the things we've done between our churches, a predominantly white church and a predominantly black church like Corona Baptist, is we've shared our space. And so on that particular day when we were hosting that funeral for another church, we were trying to model for our community and for our nation that some of the things that may separate us in other places don't separate us in the kingdom. The funeral was for one of their church members, but also a guy that I went to school with growing up, a 40-year-old dad and husband. He had a little girl that he left behind. And what I noticed is that we have some differences between our churches and just how we do a funeral. And one of the things I noticed particularly was that when they invited the family of the bereaved into the room, everybody stood up and they stayed standing as the family came in. And during that moment, their pastor, my friend, Bishop Bobby Sanders, stood right here and he began to read scripture over the family as they walked in. He began to just read the word of God and it reverberated through this room and in our hearts. You could feel the grief. And as I remember it, you could actually hear the grief. It was so heavy in that moment. And as the family was coming in and as they began to express their grief, I noticed uh, Pastor Sanders left his notes, his scripture, and he began to just say calmly and quietly this word, this name. He said, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And as he spoke that simple name, just repeated the name of Jesus, the room began to calm down. I was actually standing back in the sound booth, which is at the back of the room, because the room was filled with people. And when he began to say, Jesus, 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 I felt like it pushed me back up against the back wall, and I found that tears started streaming down my face. It made me wonder, what have I been attending to? Like, what have I been listening to? That just hearing the name of Jesus said over and over would almost lead me to my knees. It was then in that moment, uh, Pastor Sanders, knowing there wasn't really any words to say, that he began to say to each family member, he just looked at each one of them and said, it's going to be all right. 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 And as some of you know, because I shared it with Providence Church the next morning, that moment made a big impression on me. Jesus, 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 it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And those words and that language kind of snuck into the way we talk at Providence Church that I hear people say now in all kinds of situations when they don't know the words and when they know that this is the best word they can say, they'll just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. A couple of you sent me a text this week just in the midst of stuff going on in your lives to say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's a different message than we, one we hear throughout the week. It's a different message than the lies that we often tell ourselves. Jesus, Jesus, it's going to be all right. It's the truth, but we often miss it. I wonder why. That's what I want to explore with you today. I think it could be because we are listening to so many other names, so many other voices, so many other messages. Why don't I hear Jesus well, the follow-up question to that should be, um, 
well, what am I listening to? Christians, people who follow Jesus, disciples of Jesus, we believe that Jesus has something to say to us that can be heard above all the other names, above all the other words, above all the other messages. We believe that Jesus speaks something better. The book of Hebrews in the Bible tells us that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, which just means that he's the one that brings to us a a new agreement, a, a new way. And as you can see, the scripture says that he speaks a better word, a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, Abel was the first brother, the brother of Cain. They were the sons of Adam and Eve. But not only was Abel the first brother, he was also the first one to ever be murdered. Yeah, that's how our family story starts. His brother Cain murders him. You know, Cain um, got this thing in his heart that so many of us do. He, he wanted what was best for him. Cain wanted what was, uh, what was right before him, and he was jealous of his brother. And so Cain shed blood to get what he wanted, Abel's blood, was sort of a representation of this old way, this old covenant. And so from that time, for things to be made right, people would shed blood. In fact, even within religious ceremonies, there would be sacrifices, the shedding of blood of a goat or a lamb. There was this constant seeking to try to make a way and to try to make things better. There was God's law, but then there was also all these other laws and all these other messages that were piled up on top of the old covenant. And it got to a point where everybody knew that though they were shedding blood this way and that way, there was no amount of shed blood that could make a way for them. The way just wasn't working. And that is when Jesus came. Jesus comes. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And he speaks what? A better word than the blood of Abel. A better word than the way that we are trying to make it. I wonder, I've been wondering, what would that mean for us today to hear Jesus speak a better word? Maybe just to hear Jesus, 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 and to know his name and what he did is a better word than what we're hearing a better word than what we're seeing. So think with me, what do we hear right now? What is it that we're seeing? There's one instance uh, where I see division up and close every day in my own neighborhood. I see it as I drive down my road. It's the type of division where there are two opposite sides with no hope of coming together. Like, it's hard to believe that people could live this close, share so many of the same values, share so many of the same, uh, the same history and be so Divided. What I'm talking about is a house in our neighborhood where on the front porch they have two flags, two opposing flags on the same front porch. On one side of their porch is a flag with the beautiful orange of the University of Tennessee. And then on the other side, on the same porch, they have a flag with that uh, offensive crimson of the University of Alabama right there in the same house. You may have seen uh, license plates that depict something like that. I know I'm being silly, but you've seen these license plates that have two colleges right next to each other, and it says, a house divided. Well, the phrase, a house divided, is most commonly attributed to our great president, Abraham Lincoln. He said it uh, in a speech, a speech about slavery in 1858. Lincoln was talking about a nation that would surely fall, he thought, if the division within the country remained. Lincoln began his 1858 speech with these words. He said, if we could just know where we are, like take an assessment of where we are, 
and whither we appear to be tending, where we're going. He said, if we can know where we are and where we're going, we could all better judge of what to do and how to do it. Lincoln, as he analyzed the state of the Union and saw such vitriol and division among countrymen and women and the way they expressed it, he saw that division as something that would hinder the country's future and the country's preservation. And he said, if we just took an analysis and knew where we are, like, look at this, look at where we are right now. And he said, if we could see where we are going, that would give us some indication of what we should do next. And then Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. Most historians think that this, spe- this speech that was to gain the candidacy of the uh, Republican choice for Senate in Illinois, this speech cemented Lincoln as the one who would be the future president, the future president who would work uh, with great uh, difficulty and great loss to align the country in a time when folks thought there was no hope of saving the Union. What most people don't know is that when Lincoln made his famous statement, a house divided cannot stand, he actually was quoting someone else. He was actually quoting Jesus. It was Jesus who said, a house divided cannot stand. He said it when some folks accused him of having the power of the devil in him to work wonders. And Jesus said, no, 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 no Satan in here. A house divided cannot stand. What Jesus was talking about was his heart, and what Jesus was talking about was our hearts. Jesus knew that a distracted heart, one that hears all these other messages, can easily become a divided heart, and a divided heart can't stand. What if we took an assessment today? That's what I'm asking you to do, asking you to consider. What if we took the assessment of our own hearts, of where we are? What if we could look and see, this is where I am, and this is where it appears that I'm going? Uh, Maybe that would help us know what we're supposed to do next and where we're supposed to go. We talked last week about a disciple, that a disciple includes uh, an ultimate identity to Jesus, an allegiance to Jesus, a motivation motivated by Jesus, and ultimately that we would sacrifice everything for Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Last week we said, if you don't know that you're loved, if you don't know that you're loved by God, that God's lavished his love upon you, that if you don't know that that is your identity, there's no way you'll know what to do next. But if we know that, that that Jesus loves us, this I know. We don't deserve it, but yet he's poured it out on us. We will know our true identity, and that identity is what leads to our allegiances. Allegiance just simply means loyalty or commitment. So identity is knowing who you are. Identity is knowing who you are. Allegiance is knowing who you serve. And that's what Jesus was saying when he said, a house divided cannot stand. It sounds similar to something that he said in his famous sermon, which is called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. In there, Jesus uh, said something that reminds me of a house divided cannot stand. He said, no one can serve two masters. No one, Jesus says, can serve two masters. I can't, you can't, it can't be done. This passage, the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about all kinds of things that affect us in our lives, and it has implications for politics and finance and prayer and who we give, uh, give our money to, all these kind of things. But the Sermon on the Mount at its core is actually not about politics or about finances or about prayer or about giving. It's actually about our hearts. It's all about our 
heart. So I have no problem with Lincoln using the words of Jesus to talk about our nation. Thank God he did. We might try it today. I have no problem with it on license plates to talk about opposing college teams. But when Jesus is talking about a house divided and having only one master, Jesus is talking about my heart. Jesus is talking about your heart. What he's doing is he's giving us a better word, something that can rise above all the other names, all the other messages, all the other words we might hear. Right now, it seems like everybody wants to be critical, critical about the nation, critical about other people. But you see, what Jesus is asking us to be critical about is our own hearts. Criticize your heart. Look at your heart. Be critical about where you are and whither you appear to be tending, where you are going. Our hearts are divided, and a heart divided starts by a heart being distracted, a heart looking and giving itself to so many other things. As a pastor, it's common for people to come and want to talk to me, to set up an appointment, to want to talk about their lives. And so I've been doing that for a number of years, talking to people about what's going on in their lives. And I've learned something. Very rarely will someone go uh, to be so intentional to, to talk to a pastor if they just have one thing on their mind, one thing that's going on. Instead, when I talk to people about stressful or hurtful or, or big things that are going on in their lives, it's because there's so many things that they're looking at and listening to, so many things that are pulling for them. Rarely do people come with me with just one thing going on. And usually, it's not one master that we end up talking about. It's that we're actually struggling, struggling with multiple masters, multiple lords to which we're giving our attention. It's so easy, right, to promise ourselves and commit ourselves to more masters than can be served. We have promised our time and our energy and our money to more masters than is humanly possible, and multiple masters distract us from the one true master. Competing masters divide our hearts. And guys, we need to get rid of some masters. I mean, we need to get rid of some masters. To be able to hear from Jesus and move towards an undivided heart, we'll have to listen to Jesus and actually get rid of some things that we've been serving and looking to. The Bible makes a clear delineation between God with a big G and God's with a little g. So we have God and there are gods. The Bible talks about this throughout. A god is anything we give our heart to, any other master that is not Jesus. And so the Old Testament of the Bible and the New Testament make it very clear there's only one God, but there will always be competing gods for our attention and for our devotion. Lots of things that can distract our hearts. And so for us to hear from Jesus, we have to get rid of gods and look to our God. Lose a few masters. Several years ago, I got a new car. It wasn't a brand new car, but it was, it was the best car I'd ever had, and it was new and nice and clean. Actually, what I remember about it, it was so clean. It was really clean. At the time when I got the car, I had uh, my daughters were eight, six, and two, so I hadn't seen the inside of a clean car in close to a decade, and I loved it. I loved the car, and I loved that it was clean. I went out and bought these brand new floor mats uh, just to, to make it super clean. So the interior of this car was like this light gray. And these floor mats, were, they were so new. They were like almost white, you know. So I had this car. It was so clean. And um, I kept my car clean. And I let people know of the importance 
of its cleanliness to me. I was that annoying guy. He's like, you going to bring that drink in here? I mean, you could bring the drink, but, you know, I don't know if you can see how clean the car is. So one beautiful fall day, my family and I were going out to the park, and we stopped at Sonic during happy hour to get some drinks. At the time, my girl's favorite drink was a pretty amazing drink. It's a grape slush with nerds. And if you need to look that up, you can. It's like, grape slush with nerds? It was awesome. They loved a grape slush with nerds. Nerds is a candy. So anyways, at this time, I'd had the car about a year, and I, I had kept its spotless interior. So just imagine for a year with that age kids what it took uh, to keep the inside so clean. And so we get the drinks, we're passing it around, and my two-year-old Phoebe, she sets her grape slush with nerds into an invisible cup holder right in front of her and releases it. And I can remember the gut-riching sound of styrofoam splitting on those floor mats and this purple, sticky goodness going everywhere. And I was furious. I, I said to Phoebe, I said, why did you do that? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> and what I remember is spending way too long in the back of that car, cleaning and scrubbing and muttering on a beautiful fall day with the people in the car who are actually my heart. And there was this question that was hanging in the car. Everybody could sense it. They were all wondering, when did this car become so dang important? And I know the answer to that question. I knew it then and I know it now. The answer to when did this car become so important is when I made it that important, when I chose that, when I placed it in that spot. We have one God, but there are always going to be a bunch of gods that are competing for our attention. My guess is that everybody hearing this right now has some space to get rid of a few masters in your life. How do we get rid of them? First, we just have to say no. We have to say no to multiple masters and yes to Jesus. Please today, do not underestimate the power of just saying in your life, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Don't under underestimate what it might mean for you to claim that name. Claim a better word over all the things that are going on in your life. We have to continually, to be able to hear from Jesus, we have to continually say no and say yes to our true master. Jesus talked about this one time where this person had what he called an impure spirit. And the impure spirit was driven out of his life. So we don't know what it was. We don't know what ism it was or whatever plagued this person. But the person said no to the impure spirit. And Jesus goes on to say that when the impure spirit left after a while, the impure spirit says, I will now return to the house that I left. The house was the heart. And when the impure spirit returned to the house, to the heart, he found that it was swept clean. So he invited seven other impure spirits to come back to the house, to the heart of the man, and have an impure spirit party together. Saying no is important. But after we say no, we have to say yes to our true master. We clean out our house, and then we set up a chair for Jesus to guard the door. Time and again in the scriptures, there are moments when people will say no to other masters and yes to God. 
Joshua is one of my favorite. The people have come into a new land, and Joshua says to them, he's their leader, he says, guys, throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped and serve the Lord. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you choose for yourselves who you will serve, whether these gods, little g, or those gods, little g. But he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua goes ahead and claims it for everyone under his roof. No gods, yes, God. Another story I like is Elijah when he approached the people of God in 1 Kings chapter 18. He says, how long will you hobble back and forth between two opinions? <laughs> what a great question. How long will you hobble back and forth between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow God. If Baal is God, follow Baal. The people gave no answer, but for Elijah, it was clear, yes to God, no to God's. Is it bad to keep a car clean? No. Is it okay to be politically active? Yes. You want to watch CNN? Go for it. You want to fly a flag from the back of your truck? I don't know. I'm just asking you, who's your master? Who is your God? Who do you give your ultimate allegiance to? I wonder sometimes, what if we got as excited about Jesus as we did college football or Donald Trump or Joe Biden or masks? And you know, if you feel tension in hearing me say that, you have a choice. You can direct that tension towards me. That's the easiest thing to do. Or you can look at your heart and you can ask yourself, why would I feel tension just to hear someone say, nothing should be above Jesus? To move from a distracted and divided heart to an open and whole heart, you have to understand your identity. And your identity is found in who you serve. Your identity is found in who you're giving your life to. You know, when I changed from just wanting a clean car to seeing myself as the clean car guy, I had a problem because my identity was affected. If people look at you and the first thing they see and think, that person's a Democrat, that person's a Republican. If that's the ultimate thing and you're a follower of Christ, that could be a problem. When we put anything above Jesus, we are invited a distracted and divided heart to rule. And Jesus says that that will not stand. A house divided just can't stand. So what do we do when we find ourselves in a place and we wonder, how did I get so far away from my one true master? The answer is, when we let ourselves become distracted, so distracted that we would listen to other voices above the better word that Jesus is giving us. I shared with you last week, and you need to remember this, I need to remember it, being a disciple doesn't mean that you won't find yourself at times where you've got this all out of whack, <laughs> where you'll be like, oh no, I feel the tension, I put something above. Well, the mark of a disciple is not perfect adherence to all those things. A mark of a disciple is said, says, I am sorry, God. I repent. Nothing in my life should be above you. Jesus, 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 Jesus. No to God's, yes to God. Here's the deal, guys. Jesus is worthy of all this. He is worthy of our ultimate allegiance. We should say that to Jesus today in worship. Jesus, you are worthy worthy to be the Lord and master of my heart. I will put no one else above you. I will find my whole identity in you, pledge allegiance to you, be motivated every morning and every evening by you, and ultimately, God, 
I will give my whole life for Jesus. Amen.